This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 7th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The attacks of September 11th, 2001 altered the direction of the U.S. military, spurring interventions in several parts of the globe. Ten years later, have we learned the right lessons from those interventions? Chris Preble, Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, comments. It's hard to imagine uh, in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 a response very different from the one that we saw by the Bush administration. I, I, I think President Bush himself deserves, frankly, a lot of credit for setting the tone in the immediate aftermath of the attacks. We'll recall that he went out of his way to um, advise people not to to turn this into a, a question of identity, a, not a clash of civilizations, not a, a war of Islam against uh, other religions and other peoples. Uh, and I think that's his great credit. He even was criticized for that at the time. Um, and I think that, you know, the most important foreign policy initiative immediately after 9-11 was obviously the invasion of Afghanistan, which frankly wasn't an invasion at all. It was a targeted operation to depose the Taliban government that had sheltered al-Qaeda. Most Americans, most people around the world found that to be a proportionate response. I think that was correct. But uh, then we have to look at the whole range of other foreign policy actions that were taken beyond uh, the war in Afghanistan. Most of them done under the cover of counterterrorism or using the context that was established by post 9-11 to a, a, let's just say, a more permissive attitude uh, within the American public in favor of the use of force than would have existed prior to 9-11. I think the, obviously the most, most obvious and dramatic case of that was the war in Iraq. Uh, but there have been other uh, military interventions that have also moved forward uh, that seemed to me would have been completely impossible prior to 9-11, uh, like the expanded use of, um, well, frankly, the, the technology that we didn't even have in our possession, that is, you know, unmanned aerial vehicles and uh, particularly the arming of those vehicles, not just for surveillance, but actual for, for targeted killings, uh, that was dramatically expanded after 9-11. We've seen that even very recently in Yemen and Somalia and obviously in parts of Pakistan as well as Afghanistan. Um, you know, it's hard to disentangle a lot of, when we talk about foreign policy, it's hard to disentangle completely from domestic counterterrorism, domestic security, homeland security. That's a separate discussion. Um, you know, I try to focus on foreign policy, but but also have talked a lot about counterterrorism in my years here at Cato. And I think that one of the themes that we emphasize where there is a linkage is that that. When you talk about a reaction or a prudential reaction to terrorism, when you talk about targeting uh, terrorists, would-be terrorists, you talk about disrupting their plans of operations, um, the most extreme sort of action is war. Uh, and it's also the kind of, of overreaction that can elicit a response or create a backlash that in itself is a driver of terrorism. That's not to say that all American wars are contributing to that problem, but when you contemplate putting large numbers of U.S. troops uh, on foreign soil, you have to anticipate that there will be some resistance and that some of that resistance will be violent. In 2008, 
four years ago, even this idea of backlash seemed sort of out there to a lot of mainstream Republicans. But where do we stand now? There is clearly a great reluctance to engage in any kind of soul searching or introspection on the part of really any major political figure. It seems to be particularly pronounced in the Republican side. We see we hear instead an invocation about American exceptionalism and kind of in, implying that there's no reason whatsoever why the United States would question its foreign policy goals, its motives, or the conduct of that policy. Uh, and to do so uh, and to in any way suggest that there is some linkage to terrorism and acts of violence against Americans, to suggest any linkage whatsoever between that and our foreign policy for most Republican presidential candidates and presumably a number of, for, for many, uh, primary and caucus goers, that's just a bridge too far. But I think that, the again, from a, from a, from a very kind of nationalistic and just commonsensical point of view, um, people recognize that when the United States engages in foreign military operations, uh, it is nearly inevitable that there will be some kind of a backlash. And, and then the question is, is the, is the risk of that backlash um, uh, offset greatly by the benefit that we derive from it. And in a few cases, the answer is probably yes. But in other cases, I think, the, especially looking back over the last 10 years, I think we can say with some confidence that no, knowing what we know now, we would not do that again. And I think Iraq is clearly at the top of that list. Is uh, having been at war for a decade, does that create a sort of a skepticism for the next 20 years for uh, among members of the public that you know, this is something maybe we need to slow down and think about? Well, there is a skepticism and there's a pattern in American foreign policy over, you know, th frankly, throughout our history where we go from uh, from a very kind of a, a confidence in our ability to succeed and prosper without becoming entangled in other people's disputes all the way and then and then the pendulum swings to where we we become so confident in ourselves and our abilities and our in our wisdom uh, that we believe that by intervening in other people's affairs we can create a better future uh, i think clearly the pendulum has swung back in the other direction uh, but that has not stopped uh, the obama administration from intervening in libya it has not stopped talk of military operations in Iran or Syria or Burma or countless other places where liberty is uh, under assault. Uh, and I think there's this constant tension between a confidence in our ability to prevail, even if the rest of the world is is still uh, not fully liberal, that is fully you know free, uh, and our overconfidence in our ability to shape that end. And I think we're, we're kind of somewhere in the middle in the terms of the pendulum swing right now. There's a, a greater resistance or reluctance or skepticism about military intervention, but not sufficiently strong to stop all intervention in the future. This particular uh, war weariness that came about, you know, even in 2004 for the Iraq War, uh, has uh, dovetailed with fiscal uh, constraints that have apparently stuck up on us, but really haven't. Uh, 
you know, what what role should that play? I mean, the, we've talked before about Tea Partiers who are now uh, a major force in in at least the U.S. House and how how this these fiscal constraints might actually change their rhetoric about how we conduct ourselves around the world. Right. Well, first of all, I mean, I think there is an incompatibility between believing in limited government at home and expansive government abroad. That's always that's been the classical liberal tradition going back for frankly generations, the skepticism of that. But in terms of the in the in contemporary context, the fact that we're broke, frankly, we're worse than broke, that we're badly indebted, it is not a surprise. It should not come as a shock to anyone. This is something that has been building for a very long time. And yet, the vast sums of money that we spend on our military, to the extent that those are not essential to our own security, opens the way for a rethinking of not just what we spend, but why we spend it. And so I think we see some energy behind a reorientation or at least a, a modification of U.S. foreign policy driven by the fiscal constraints, even if it's, it's incorrect that the fiscal crisis was caused uh, by the wars. It was not. It was merely exacerbated by the wars. Uh, that's sufficient, though, to cause people to rethink the, the ends and means of our foreign policy. Chris Prabble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.